Fun Parts is a show about, well, all our fun parts. But just a heads up that we'll be speaking pretty frankly about bodies, sexuality, spirituality, faith, and a host of other related topics. This episode includes references to sexual abuse and trauma, which may be difficult or triggering for some listeners. Also, you might not want to listen with your kids around. Finally, you can join the discussion on our Instagram page at Fun Parts Podcast. I don't even know where my phone's at. Perfect. It's probably on an airplane. Yeah, it lives in airplanes. It lives in airplanes. We only check on, emails on once a week. On an airplane. <laughs> I only check work emails once a week. What's I should that have clarified that. Still... God bless you, Becky. I only do it one time a week. But yeah, hell yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. From Mill U Media Group, this is Fun Parts, an exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone who's curious or convinced there must be more. With your host... Becky Patton, Ashley Lusink, Steve Weens, Luke Bronner, and me, Latifa Alatas. Fun Parts! Okay, so here's where I want to try starting. It's a table question. Another table question. What is one idea of sexuality and or spirituality that you have left behind in your life? Dang, there's a lot of them. Just one. Pick and, one. And just a, and headline form. I don't think we have to dive into it, but just like what's what's one idea that you maybe had wrong or that you've moved on from? It's okay for me to be a tigress in the bedroom. Good one. Ooh, mine is that self-pleasuring is great. You left that behind? No, sorry. The <laughs> masturbation. Oh, no, no, no. Wait a second. I'm wrong. So, okay, wait, wait a second. Okay. What yeah, I left behind. behind. What I left behind. Okay, can I redo that? Yeah. Okay, no, because I... You're I, no longer a tigress in the bedroom? No, I am. I find that hard I'm to believe. Sorry, no, I Rick. am. <laughs> no, what I left behind be, is that it's okay for me to explore my... What I, mean, I left behind. Not okay. That's what I left me, behind. Let me pose the question okay. one more time. Okay, thank you. I'm sorry. So what's one idea about sex, sexuality, and or spirituality that you have left behind? In your journey, I'm still <laughs> negative. Double so negative. So okay. masturbation is is wrong. Mas- okay, masturbation is wrong. That being playful and engaging in the bedroom is wrong. Hmm. Yeah, did I say it right? That's correct. That you're leaving that behind. I'm leaving that behind because <laughs> it's okay for me to. Do you have one? That you have to wait for marriage. For your first sexual experience mm. with someone? I don't have to answer because I asked it. So, it- <laughs> oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. I'll ask the question of you. No, I really am thinking. I think for me, it would be there has to be a better way to articulate this, but this is just how I'm going to articulate it for now that there's anything different about me and my body and my sexuality different in like a negative way. Does that make sense? No, no. Well, that's my answer. <laughs> uh, I also was like, Oh, so he's to... being a mystery here, but you're leaving so, behind. I think like it feels like a revelation to me to remember that other people have similar feelings or that other mm. people have, it feels new to me to think that that's not unique my experience is not unique in some ways it is, but I just mean that like the experience of being a human being 
with sexual impulses and a body is unique to me. Oh, so you're leaving that behind that it's just unique to you. Yeah. To realize that like the things that I think about and wonder about and experience other people think about and wonder about and experience, but no one's ever talked to me about it. And so it's like, that's all I'm saying is Mm -hmm. that like the entire sexual experience for me has been in isolation over the course of my life because it was always what I was perceiving from entertainment or overhearing mm-hmm. from friends, but it wasn't because I was in dialogue with anyone about it. Or, it was internal no one, interpretation yes, that was going completely. on. So you're leaving behind internal interpretation. Just leaving behind the notion that these are things I can't talk about. <gasps> you're breaking this. That's the way I want to say it. Yeah. I'm leaving behind the notion that these are things I'm incapable of mm-hmm. talking about. I like that. Luke. I like that too. I like that. It's freedom. Steve. You know, I think I'm leaving behind the idea that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Ooh, <laughs> um, interesting. And what I mean by that is primarily around identity. Mm. I used to think there really was men who thought this way in general. And of course there's different perspectives on men and then there's women and they think this way and act this way. And I just, I think there's masculinity and femininity and I think I have both it's fluid. Mm-hmm. and people have all, not even both, but all, I just am leaving behind a very binary understanding of men and women and masculinity and femininity. That's a great answer. That's a great yeah. answer. Yeah. I would also say same to all of your answers. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I'm going to leave those behind also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Can I ask a follow-up question to that? When we leave something behind, there's a emptiness And our tendency is to quickly feel that because when we feel that emptiness, we can feel the absence of something, which I think gets to this element of where this is behind us. Mm. I don't know what's ahead. And we're kind of in this place of I'm going to step and cross over into something more. And one of my questions is, what does it take for you to be able to stay in the tension of the and more, and you may not know exactly what the and more is. Yeah. And part of why I'm asking that is because if we can recognize some of our go-to mechanisms to silence pain, silence tension, silence that, it's a way of turning towards something mm-hmm. to wonder about, oh, do I have to respond this way? I think I know what that would be for me something that's been really helpful for me over the course of this first season. And I, for some reason, cannot retain the word starts with the P what's the, pro, uh, the, the pro, chemical oh, prolactin. prolactin prolactin. It sounds so much like prophylactic to me. <laughs> like, Just oh, call it prophylactic. Now, now it will be for me too. Yeah. Yeah. Prophylactic. Oh. I think just the knowledge that I'm constantly putting out prophylactics is <laughs> no, the, but really the realization that for me to be able to just say like, that experience that I'm constantly having of getting really uptight or really, you know, uh, when this conversation starts Mm -hmm. to just be able to acknowledge that there's something chemical happening or something Mm -hmm. hormonal happening for me and that I can push through that and I can engage in this conversation. I look at everyone else at this table and think this conversation is so much easier for them, but that's not to say that like y'all have, it's just that y'all have probably already done the work or maybe y'all mm-hmm. didn't have to undo some of the things that I'm having to undo, but it doesn't mean that I'm incapable of it. And mm-hmm. so for me to remain in that tension is for me to just acknowledge that like, there's something happening here. Mm-hmm. I can get through this. So what you're doing is you're noticing mindfulness with your body. You're naming it mm. and you're choosing instead of that being the enemy, you're nurturing life. 
And sometimes we have to nurture life in very painful places because no one else has nurtured them for us. It's funny. My instinct just then was like, oh, no, no, it's not painful. It's just awkward. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, well, maybe it is painful. Maybe there's something in there that I'm just not accessing yet. Yeah. That maybe what I'm identifying as awkward is really, there's like a wall there for me of like, there's a reason why I can't talk about this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm confident, even as I say that, that it's tied to my religious upbringing. Yep. I'm positive. Mm -hmm. And I'm still a Christian today. I think I'm actually a more Orthodox Christian than I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm confident that whatever it is, it's tied to that, Mm -hmm. which is interesting in a conversation about our spirituality and our sexuality being intentionally intertwined. But Mm -hmm. what about y'all? How to stand in the tension? I want to go back to Becky's question. I'll do a nerdy 30 and then I'll answer. Nerdy 30, nerdy 30, So uh, the Bible is so limited in so many ways when you take it literally, but when you look at the metaphors that it presents, one of the metaphors that's so beautiful is the metaphor of when you have to spend time in the wilderness. So whether it's 30 Mm -hmm. or 40 years, 40 weeks, 40 days, whatever else the wilderness is, it's a time where if you're really in the wilderness in the way that the scriptural characters are supposed to have been, you don't have a cell phone, you don't have a plan to get back. You really have left something behind. And you don't know what's next. That's the wilderness. So whatever you think of the Bible, fine. But those tension places, like people have been there all across human history, have experienced that unknown and have made it through, you know? So I think we can find some comfort in that. What I would say, I think one of the hardest things for me to do when I have left one way of thinking or behaving is to resist the temptation to look back at folks who maybe are still there and judge them harshly mm-hmm. or even judge myself harshly for having been there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I think there's this tendency whenever, again, we've evolved and hopefully we all will evolve to look back mm-hmm. with judgment and to look forward in fear, right? So how do we look back with compassion on ourselves and on anyone else? I have a temptation to then want to convert everybody (laughs) or to project everybody else's deal. Like, oh, what you must be dealing with is what I was just dealing with. And, you know, (laughs) and like, no. So staying in the tension is remembering it's my story I'm living. Mm -hmm. It's my story. That's so good. Mm. Yeah. I think for me, one of the places I get stuck easily is grieving the loss of time that I spent somewhere that has been a raw place of living. So like we talked about raw and Tove and raw being that like it's death and no more Mm -hmm. life is generating from that. And I think it's appropriate to grieve that and to let that move through you, but not get stuck in what could become quickly like bitterness or resentment for time lost and like a different mindset that you see has hurt you and done damage. And then, in the same way, Becky, you were talking about like honoring the Bible you were burning, <laughs> like saying like, it's not all bad. Like there's things I got from this that was really formative and helpful. Being able to do that work first before I have the expectation that Tove can come. Like I, I think I need to grieve what was lost. And I talked about this in another show about like, you know, if Tove is the idea of like death and resurrection, death and resurrection, that like I really think that the act of burial for me is like ceremoniously important and being able to move forward so that like I can acknowledge that something has died. I can spend time 
preparing the body and spending time with it, acknowledging what happened, putting it in the ground, saying words, putting dirt over it, mm-hmm. maybe visiting the tombstones occasionally until I don't need to visit it anymore. Like, it, I think I need that act of burial, that act of ceremony in order to then see Tove or the re- regeneration of life in something that has felt like it led to death. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's really associated to my own trauma work, you know? And so like where something feels so taken from you or so lost or so dead, it's really hard sometimes when you're in the midst of that to think there's ever going to be life there again. Mm-hmm. And so believing that's possible has only been able to come for me by allowing myself to go through the process of death, burial, and then resurrection. Mm-hmm. So I think it's trusting that process is like what will keep me moving forward. And trust can be really hard when mm-hmm. hard things have happened. Trust is hard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Let's see if, uh, mm. I heard Richard Rohr say once, I'm like, there's no direct flight from, gosh, you know, I love birth, death, flights. resurrection, like, like from birth to resurrection, there's no direct flight. Yeah. There has to be a death. Yeah. And I think you're right. There has to be, you have to find a way to ceremoniously say this happened mm-hmm. and maybe I'll return to it. One of the things that a friend of mine said, I, I've been really interested in cosmos lately and we were talking about anniversaries and I was thinking about mm-hmm. ceremony. Mm-hmm. She was talking to another friend who made the point that maybe anniversaries feel like in our body feel significant because we're actually the closest we were at a time to our trauma in the planetary system mm-hmm. than huh. we were the year prior. So yeah. like the earth is in the same rotation. Yeah. Yeah. Mars isn't probably in a similar place. Like the sun's in huh. a similar place. And so like physically in the cosmos, our body is living in the closest experience. I, I would akin it to like going to the same bedroom, maybe where you experience sexual mm-hmm. trauma mm-hmm. is going to bring up memories that like our physical embodiment is being held in the, in the cosmos and mm-hmm. the closest, like most similar space as it was the year prior. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why like anniversaries are significant. Oh, very significant. I think we need oh. to mark them. Yeah. I mean, I mark the anniversary of my friend's death. Yeah. Every year I go buy our favorite bottle of wine, which has gotten very expensive, but <laughs> I buy it. I open it up. I pour two glasses mm. and I kind of tell her about the year. I love that. And then I drink my glass and then I pour hers out on the ground. Yeah. You know, similarly in working with people who've lost loved ones to death mm-hmm. as a pastor, I find that I, as soon as I can, I say their name. People feel nervous about saying the name of someone who died. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? Oh my gosh. Is, yes. Is, and it's so true? free because part of it, our body needs the resonance I'm very aware of you, Luke, right now. That's good. Oh. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm very aware. It's good. There's really space for it. But our body, when we speak things out loud, and I mean, when we speak them and then our ears hear them, what we're hearing is a resonating, and our cells respond to resonating. Like, mm. think of like a sound bowl or a tuning mm. fork or a piano. Mm-hmm. Our cells literally vibrate. And so to hear someone's name, I think it's so important because the thing that I think most of us fear about death is, wait, is there anything after? That's right. And have I had an impact here? And I can say of the people that I treasure the most that have gone from this world, I feel closer and closer and closer to them because there are ways in which that death element Mm -hmm. will never erase the imprint, the 
experiences, the things that are, it's in fact, they're more alive to me now mm. in ways because I carry. And so I think we wonder, is that going to be true for me too? Mm. And so saying their name is a way of that cellular structure actually partnering. The, there's a part of them that will always be here. I did a funeral this year of a 40-year-old man who died, left his son behind. And before the funeral, as we were planning for it a couple days before, I sat with the family. There was maybe 12 of them around. So this is sisters, this is mom, this is dad, which uh, son, ex-wife, they all loved this guy. This guy really was great. And I led them in a series of rememberings where there was even laughter in the room because mm -hmm. we all remembered the kinds of quirky things that he did. And he really was so loving and so quirky. And so we were remembering him and naming him. And I wonder, you know, for anyone who has to leave, especially around sexuality and spirituality, a belief system mm -hmm. that maybe family members are still a part of, mm -hmm. how do we have a ceremonial burial for that in a way that honors mm -hmm. that, but also in a way that very clearly says I'm moving on because I think that's so important. How do we do that? How do we do it? Well, is it important to do it? Well, it feels important to me. I mean, I think of like, I talked at some point about the anxiety that I know my mom almost certainly feels about me participating in this show Yeah, and not just participating in it, but like really working to amplify and get it in the ears of as many people as possible. Not because I want the show to be successful, but because I want people to experience the freedom mm -hmm. that I did miss out on, mm -hmm. you know, or that you did miss out on, that all mm -hmm. of us have missed out on it at points in our life. And so I do think that like, that would feel like such a gift. I have no idea what the answer is of like how to ceremonially separate myself, like actually free myself from even the obligation I feel Mm -hmm. to not participate. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think that like part of what we are doing right now with this show is an act of ceremony. Like we've all spent time mm -hmm. acknowledging where we've come from and what's happened or been happening in order for us to engage with the life beyond the things that we're grieving that have died or have hurt us in the past, or and maybe there's been benefit too, but we're just moving on in a different way. And so I think part of the reason why I am so passionate about doing this show as well is I was just like, I know that this is a conversation that so many people are desperate to be a part of because when we name things, like you're saying, even saying your friend's name who has passed away, like, you know, my friend Shasta passed away of, of breast cancer a few years ago too. And, you know, there were three of us that were really close and our mutual friend, like we talk about her still and it's healing and it's, it's sometimes I'm smiling when I do it yeah. now, you know, enough time has passed on. And, and, and I think that like the act of this conversation, like is, uh, perpetuating the continual healing of like connecting with our bodies, connecting with our spirituality and sexuality and sensuality. I, I think that this right here is an act of ceremony, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think when we can't talk about something or we can't acknowledge something to me, that's like stuck energy in my body. That's like a stuck yeah. space that then becomes dead weight. It becomes blockage. It becomes a limb that hurts and I don't understand why or a crick in my neck that never seems to leave. And like you were saying, emotion is motion that's needing to move through the body. And, and I think talking about like these ideas and these concepts is part of like motion. It's 
the moving our theology through our body yeah, like in yeah. some ways, you know. That's what this is for me. And I think that's why I also am so passionate about this is because I need it. And I know lots of other people need it too. So Becky, you just said that you're particularly aware of me in this moment. And for listeners, that's because we're recording this the day before my best friend's funeral. So it's interesting to me in a conversation about how our sexuality or our bodies and our spirituality are intertwined to think about the last couple of weeks of my life of standing by his bedside and realizing he's not waking up and the very physical response in my chest, the very like, like someone punched a hole in my chest or in my, you know, right in my gut. And and you talked about like our emotional kind of core and, Mm -hmm. and just like, for me, that's evidence. I wouldn't have identified it before this, but that's evidence to me that this stuff is all tangled up. Mm -hmm. That's helpful to me actually. In Chinese medicine, one of the things that they say is that we store grief in our chest. In our lungs. In our lungs. lungs, But but it's just right here. And so when you put your hand up, you were putting your hand right there, you feel like I got hit in the gut because that you don't have enough breath to draw up to your lungs because the grief is there. Hmm. And I think one of the beautiful things about, I think, Eastern and Western medicine partnered together is a more holistic way of looking at medicine. I mean... I know people get really freaked out by Eastern medicine, but the Chinese have been doing medicine way longer than Western. And the reality is they've studied the body in ways of what are the things and the ways in which the body actually experiences some of these things. And I want to say right now in this moment, as we're talking about things being interwoven, what you just did by naming your friend, well, you didn't name his name. Is it okay to name his Mm -hmm. name? Yeah, Nathan. Nathan. We are all holding Nathan with you. Yeah, absolutely. Your story got just expanded enough that some of the things I just, because the question I'd asked earlier, what are we going to do with that space? Are we going to rush to fill it up? And instead of rushing to fill up the pain, what you did is you actually shared it. And now there's space for all of us to hold that pain with you. And I think that when you ask about how do we do this, First thing I want to say is we can't do it alone. That's right. Hmm. We weren't created to do it alone. We are made to do it. And the thing that I I can tell you the poor ways to do it, because I've done them probably all of them. (laughs) But the reality is I had to find my people. Mm. I had to find people that were willing to have these conversations with me. And some of them, I lost some friendships. It's hard. I've lost some really dear people that I loved that couldn't go there or couldn't hold parts of this or couldn't hold parts of me holding parts of this. And I've paid a huge price even in my own family. Yeah. Yeah. I've paid a huge price in places of employment. I've been churches I've worked with. And the thing is, is I'm not saying that so people feel sorry for me. Mm. The reality is that's reality. Yeah. And sometimes when we have to leave something behind, we need to, be okay with letting some of the things we love, letting go of them long enough to see what will actually come. And there were moments in my marriage, I didn't know if my marriage would survive. I mean, I'm married to a great guy, but honestly, he's no saint. 
Okay, maybe he is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but the no, rea- he, let's name it. He's not. Thank yeah. you. Okay, yeah, but most people from the outside well, think. Try being married to my wife. Okay? Yeah, I, know. I okay. think even. Yeah. I mean, that's I'm not true. to one up, but I mean, every, anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's and true. she is amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we're all just people, man. But I think that there's this element of he was somebody who couldn't even hold part of what I was experiencing. Sure. And he said to me at one point, and this was something we had to do some real work around. He said, I want my old Becky back. Yeah. And I looked at him as I'm standing in our kitchen. I'll never forget. And I looked at him. I said, she's dead. Yeah. She does not exist anymore. And you have to decide if you're going to fall in love with me. And he turned and left the room. How long ago was that? Our youngest was probably two. Okay. So, So, and she's now 30 something. Yeah. But there was that place. I wondered if walking into freedom was going to cost me my marriage. And I didn't want it to because I really did love this guy. But I knew I couldn't keep living. And one of the declarations I made at one point is, and what led me into this was I had to deal with my own sexual abuse because nobody in my generation before me had ever dealt with it. They won't even admit it. And that was the line I drew in the sand. And I said, it stops here. I will not let this generational element touch my children if I have anything to do with it. And I was fighting for something but that automatically made me fighting against certain mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Which is right back to the, the metaphor of moving forward requires leaving something behind. Mm-hmm. And I think the fear that I feel around that is, I mean, the same fear that I've talked about on other episodes of, you know, when I was a kid and I wanted so badly just to be a good boy. So when something was happening that wasn't supposed to, mm-hmm. I'd get really dizzy and I'd have a response. That's still what I feel. I still feel a responsibility. Yeah. I feel an obligation to not only like my parents or to the idea of being, good or whatever, but I do feel some sort of obligation to like the moral ethical upbringing that I had that like, I feel like it requires me to burn bridges that I just don't want to burn. It Mm. it feels like the right thing to do, quote unquote, morally, whatever is to bear it myself Mm. so that others don't have to. So that the people who will struggle with me, having a different sexual ethic or whatever, it's easier for me to continue to bear the burden of repression than to put them through the experience mm-hmm. of me moving on. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Makes, I know that's not true. No, it, it I makes know that total sense. I know what you're saying, but yeah. that's how I think it, it makes a hundred percent sense. There again, it's that Indiana Jones. Are you going to take that step of faith? And here's the thing is, so what if you need a little gravel to throw on that bridge so you know your first step is landing on something? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't think that made him any less brave. But the reality is what I think religion has told us. Faith is like you move forward and you've got the assurance of God with you. That's not faith. That's fact. Faith is, I don't know what's next, what you were talking about in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'm saying I'm 100% in. I'm going forward. And this is where I think the guardrails have to be love and grace. And, you know, there are people in my life that offered me love and grace as Mm. I was going through this. Yeah, me too. And one of them was my father. Mm. I'm lucky in that way. But I have to be honest, I didn't get the same response from my mother. Mm -hmm. 
And I want to say the journey over the last 25 years of me standing up and speaking some of this, the beautiful relationship I get to have with my mom now came about from a very different way from having to do very different work than I did it with my father. But I had to leave behind their expectations that I was their good little girl. Mm. And that was hard. It was hard. I think that one of the important things to acknowledge, because we've talked so much about the body and the integration of like our body and soul and mind, and it came to mind, Luke, when you were talking about you felt something in your chest mm-hmm. when you were sitting next to Nathan. And you use the word, it felt all tangled. And that's definitely not a bad word, and that's a great accurate word for feeling. But I love the word interwoven because like, I think our bodies do tell us the truth. And one of the practices I adopted as I was grieving my divorce and grieving all those changes is I wasn't getting hugged, especially when I moved to Nashville. I was getting hugged in Colorado, but I moved a year later to Nashville and I just didn't know enough people to like hug them for a long period of time. So at night I would like hug my own belly and I would squeeze my belly fat and I, it's very comforting to me. And I would just give myself hugs and I, I sometimes would experience pain in my body. And I do this now and then it's instead of being like resentful of that pain, I, I'll just, I literally say it loud. What are you telling me body? That's so good. Yeah. And I think that like, Sometimes when we experience pain, our instinct is to think that it's bad, but I think pain is such a revealer and a teacher. And I think that our body, that's one of the ways it communicates to us. Mm -hmm. And so for people that are maybe having to move through some of these spaces right now and they are feeling isolated, like one of the other things you learn in therapy when you do EMDR is you go back to your childhood self and you re-nurture yourself as like a grown Mm -hmm. person. And so like even we might not have had a dad sit next to us and tell us what we were experiencing, but now I can go back Mm -hmm. and reparent myself. And Mm -hmm. so like, I'll do that for myself too. And I think nothing's better than having real people in your lives, but for people who are listening and are feeling like alone and maybe isolated, Mm -hmm. like those are just some like really practical things that can happen as maybe you're starting to figure out how do I start to move through some of this and like observing your body, asking your body what's happening, not resenting the pain, but, seeing if you can breathe into it and observe what it's teaching you. And well, yeah. And I, I wonder also that the other thing I will say for me is I think I had so prepared in my mind other people's responses. Yeah. Oh. I had to pull back and make space for them to have a response to That's me. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. Because I was so sure how they would treat me that I was caught off guard almost by the receptivity that people, some of what I was confronting was a family system that had been created around a certain area of sexuality. I was leaving my family of origin and kind of my, the religious upbringing that I'd had around that. And I was just, I wanted to ask questions. I wanted to be curious. I wanted to find something good. And I remember that in my mind, because my family, my religious system, I knew how I responded in that. And so I assumed everybody in that was going to respond the same way I had for ages. And it was people outside of that system that started responding to me in a way that I was like, oh, I've always had that question too. And it was like, somebody else has? That gave me permission to kind of separate myself out, not in a like a better way, but just be able to go, oh, maybe somebody else that's right sitting next to me in the same pew has the same question that I have and they don't have the courage to ask it. Mm. And that's one of the things I found is sometimes my 
inappropriateness of doing it. I am an eight. And so sometimes <laughs> I come out really strong out of the gate. And I realize that that is directly tied to my passion. I'm a passionate person. And what I had to learn how to do, one therapist said, you know, the energy of you kind of goes out eight to 10 feet. We feel you in the room before we see you. Wow. And she says, that's not bad, but you're going to have to be careful where you give freedom to release that kind of energy. Mm. And I was like, I wonder if people are responding to that. So I learned techniques to pull some of my energy in, rein it in, and go, is this a safe place mm -hmm. where I get to do exploring, mm -hmm. where I get to ask questions, where I get to, con and I hate to use the word confront, but that's kind of what you're doing. Oh, you're confronting sure. family systems. You're confronting religious systems. Yeah, can I, I'm yeah. so glad you brought systems up because when yeah. it comes to leaving something behind and moving forward, the illusion that we have is that we're doing that on our own. Right. But really, you're a part of a number of systems that are interwoven and they're working perfectly. Now, they may be horribly dysfunctional, <laughs> but everyone's playing the rules according to the rules to make the system go according mm -hmm. to what it goes. So the framework that I've been thinking about lately that's really helpful for me about leaving a system and moving to something else it, like picture it like a cycle with four movements and you're going to do this cycle more than once. Mm -hmm. But the first movement is disruption for a system to change. There has to be disruption. So that could be a sickness in your body that disrupts your system. That could be someone goes to a conference and learns a new thing about theology that blows their mind. And now they're just, everything's different. It could be a divorce. It could be a death. Any mm -hmm. number of things could disrupt the flow of normal. Now, if you are the one that experiences that disruption, the next movement is there's an invitation. Mm. There's an invitation to critique and observe the system for what it is actually. Now you're no longer caught in the system like a snow globe. You're observing it. When you get to critically look at it, you'll start to see what's messed up in it. And sometimes it's even funny. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, we've all been playing this game for this long. It's like the ham. Right, the it's ham exactly and the like dish. the ham. It's like it's stupid. I'm throwing this out. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, great example. So, you have this short dish and you mm -hmm. keep cutting off the ham. Someone says, "Hey, what? what you know, mm -hmm. or, or the thought comes to your mind? Why don't I get just get a bigger pan?" Yeah. That's the invitation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, technically, you're cutting off the butt and the bulges of the ham. The butt and the bulges. <laughs> and now you what make, you love the most. I know what and I love you, the most. And you want to make room for that. Why so do we cut off pan, what we love? Becky, sorry. That just felt like no, that's that such an yeah, awful that is true. I did. I did get a bigger pan. <laughs> Picture the third movement after disruption, then invitation. Picture the third movement as education. And mm. you really do then need to learn a new way of being. That's so good. Because- like the old system, you inherently know. Mm -hmm. It's like when you go home after you've been gone for a long time and all of a sudden you're your 17-year-old self and, you, and your siblings are, right? Like, so you need to learn a new way of being, a new way of thinking. I think part of why we all are interested in this podcast is because we're all trying to learn a new way of we're being. We're trying to live, yeah, live into and a new way. What, of and living, you remember yeah. when I met you over tacos? I said to you, I was like, I sort of feel like an infant. Yes. Mm. And my knowledge of how to explore this wisely. Yeah. Cause you just have more knowledge, more experience. You've spent a lot of intentional time learning with lots of people about this specifically. And that is exactly why one of the reasons I'm here mm -hmm. is I need education from trusted sources. Well, right. Yeah. So the fourth movement then is integration. And so that's when mm -hmm. you start to, mm -hmm. you move from just being educated 
to actually living in this new way. That's good. Now, the beauty of it is that pretty soon then you're going to have another disruption because you've just created Absolutely. another system that's yeah. imperfect and it's going to, you know, ultimately be But the be more you do too. that, the more you go through those cycles of flow. Yeah. The more you go through the tove of learning and shedding, yes. if you will, like the more you can trust the process. Yes. It doesn't totally uproot and derail you at this core level every time because now you're like, oh, this is a familiar sensation. Like I've ridden this roller coaster before. Yep. So I know mm-hmm. at this moment where I'm feeling nauseous and fearful yes. and I'm climbing. Click, 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 and click. And definitely click. there will be a fall, but then there'll be elation and relief. Yeah, that's such a And great... eventually there's an exit door you get off. Exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. But like it's a familiar ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And You're I totally think right. What really makes it so scary is like the unknown of will I be safe? Right. Will I eventually land? Will I be okay? And I think that's where it's like you said, find your people. Yeah. In my experience with this, right? Interested to see what you guys think, but you'd be surprised who are your people and who aren't. And the yeah. people that some of the people that you think are going to be your people aren't. That's right. Some of the people that you yeah. had like had no way they're they're on the other side. They become your people. So mm-hmm. finding your people is so important. I don't think you can do Turns it. Turns out my people live in Minnesota. We got to buy you a scarf. Winter, yeah. yeah. You need gloves so, with fingers on the ends. Okay. So as we sort of wrap up this, the final episode of this first season, I guess, I think what this season has probably been for a lot of people is that disruption in the cycle. And so mm. where we are going to leave off, I think is the invitation piece. What we're saying is that like, we're going to continue to produce this show. Mm-hmm. The invitation is that we're going to just offer you a bigger dish for your ham. Like, <laughs> who doesn't want more ham? Yeah. So the, yeah. who doesn't want the butt and the bulge? The butt and the, the bulge. Butt and the bulge. Can we just be honest about our desire? <laughs> so we're going to wrap the ham in green spandex. Oh dear God. <laughs> Instagram. I don't even eat ham. Before okay. the wheels are yeah. completely okay, off. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Luke was wrapping this up so well. You were. You were. The okay. invitation, invitation is to move forward into that education integration wherever people mm-hmm. are. And so we started this episode saying, what are you leaving behind? I'd love mm-hmm. to end this episode asking each one of you, what are you moving towards in this? Mm. Becky, can we start with you? What are you moving towards? You know, I'll never forget the first class I ever did on this. And I named it Holy Sexuality. And it was a, a fairly large church. And I had, I think, 15 people registered for the class. And the night of class, we had like 150 people show up. Now, people that were all in the same church, nobody would look at each other. Nobody would engage with each other. It was like the cone of silence was mm-hmm. in the room. And in that moment, I remember listing it as a six-week class, and I only had curriculum for one week. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to teach next week, no idea what I'm going to teach next week. The whole time as I'm teaching this first set of material, and it was like five minutes before we're going to close, out of my mouth came, and next week we're going to talk about what I want more than anything. And I feel like the invitation is, for me, I want to keep learning in a way that is invitational to other people. Hmm. And to do this podcast means I have to do subtraction in my life somewhere. And what I know is that's going to cost me in other ways. But I think my invitation is in order to take my next step forward, I need to subtract some of what I'm doing right now in order to be present to ways in which we can honestly and faithfully and holistically and nervously step into more of these topics. 
And that's what I'm moving forward in. Steve, what about you? I have done a lot of code switching in my life as a pastor. And by code switching, I don't know if I know what I mean is. by that is. It I means don't. Like, well, it's because you're white. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just it's well, funny how mean it sounded, though. I know. I don't mean it in a mean way. It's because as a multicultural child, mm-hmm. um, as a child who is not white and has the name Latifah, you learn how to speak the language of the groups that you're in. And the dominant culture has been white America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that includes how we use our language and the vocabulary we use and mm-hmm. the diction or the accents or the way, we, like all that slang, all that stuff. And so like when I'm with communities of color, I do speak a bit differently. And the way how loud I get and how I am with my body changes because mm-hmm. I'm more comfortable in certain ways because culturally there, it's more acceptable to like have everybody talk at the same time and laugh and all those things. And maybe we use different words or different things. Whereas when I'm with white communities, I know how to fit into the dominant culture as to mm-hmm. not stand out in a way that I will be misjudged or cast out. Is okay. that an okay way to say that it? That is so much better than I could have ever done. <laughs> I've been living it, man. Well, and so <laughs> I'm, I'm a white man. I'm, I'm a part of dominant culture in terms of ethnicity. But what I mean is like theologically, Ooh. for most of my life, I've been around people who look at the Bible one way and... And I'm around some great people. I yeah. mean, I, you mm-hmm. know, and still I find myself holding way back and not expressing what I really think or believe. And there is time to not, especially as a pastor, you don't just blurt out everything you think mm-hmm. believe. And, not but, and I've just noticed how much energy I've spent holding back and not really being me. And so what I do is like, I was just in a conversation last week and I kind of blurted some things out and hurt some people's feelings and felt bad about it. Mm. And I apologized, but also I need to not look back on that and go, Oh gosh, I shouldn't have said anything. You know, like that would be my go-to. Oh, just well, cause <laughs> the nature of code switching yep. is that you're continually serving mm-hmm. the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't want to disrupt dominant right. culture. Right. Mm. Which sometimes is very problematic. So I guess what I'm saying is that I'm moving toward honesty, kindness, not perfection, but less, less code switching. And if mm-hmm. that means that I pay prices, mm-hmm. I'm going to pay those prices mm-hmm. versus prices in my own body because it's so exhausting. Because you're letting the emotion, you're mm-hmm. letting it move through you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that makes good. sense. Yeah. I think that I am hopefully moving into or towards less of a reactive mindset or spirit. And more into like spiritual, sexual, mind, body, soul congruency so that I'm resonating in frequencies that are harmonious within myself. I think that's where That is I'm such going. a beautiful musician's <laughs> sentence. <laughs> my gosh, I love that. Would you just say it one more time? I don't even know if I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful. Oh my it's gosh, like, the uh, harmonious a, rhythm is... A harmonious resonance within resonance myself. Within could, myself. You, could you oh. sing it? could you oh my god yeah i mean i know you could it'll be my next record okay so ashley you've been sort of on again off again with the microphone over the course of this first season which was sort of a surprise i think to all of us we didn't really quite (laughs) i brought four microphones for five of us so i want to invite you into this too because you're clearly very much a part of what we're building here and what we're doing so what would you say you are moving 
towards as we continue to produce this show. I think that just kind of came to me as we were sitting here. I think I'm, I noticed yesterday, so I've been kind of on the periphery through this whole conversation and I've throughout this whole process been trying to figure out what is my role here. Mm. And I've been part of this conversation ongoingly with Becky, just cheering you on in Mm -hmm. so many ways. And you're one of my people. Thank you. And what I realized yesterday when I kind of like chimed in was the freedom I felt in my body after. And what I'm really realizing is I do need to use my voice here and noticing the times I just, I'm feeling the tension I want to share, but Mm. I've been, I've been really afraid. I don't know what that is. And I think doing work like this will be part of my own healing journey Mm. to name some things. And I look forward to what that will bring. So thank you for affirm that. I love it. I've loved every time you've spoken up too. So, you know, it's been really helpful. Thank you. What about you, Luke? You're welcome to have my mic. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -mm. No. When I asked the question, I once again thought like, well, I don't know how to answer this question. And then I realized that's my answer. So for me, I'm going to move forward into the mystery of this. I don't know what's in the next room for me. I don't Mm -hmm. know where this is leading, but I'm just going to trust that that mystery is like, is where I'm supposed to be moving Mm -hmm. and I'm going to move into it. And I think that actually will be true for a lot of people listening Mm -hmm. that like, it is a little bit anxiety inducing to be like, I don't know where this is going, but Mm -hmm. I I think I'm supposed to go there. Mm -hmm. So. Well, and I think that the thing that has consistently we have found since we met five months ago for our very first time, we all are hungry to keep having the conversation. Mm -hmm. We're all learning as we have the conversation. And it's enriching not just our lives here in what we're doing. It's enriching and expanding conversations we're having with other people. I know everybody's told other people about the podcast. I really haven't Mm. because I think it's something I've been holding in my body literally Mm. for over 20 years. Mm. And I remember somebody saying to me the first class I ever did that night that I had those 150 people show up and I was doing all this and I was thinking, Oh God, I hope I'm not going to hell for this. Mm. And that's literally what I'm thinking as I'm doing it. But I kept, my husband sat outside that room that night and I don't know what he was doing, probably a Sudoku, but but what I knew the moment I walked out of there is I said to him, I said, I shared what has actually happened. I spoke honestly. Mm. And his comment, I mean, it was so, it was like, well, that's all you can do. I'm like, yeah, but I spoke honestly. Mm. And I think the deepest invitation for all of us is this has the opportunity wherever anybody's at it has the opportunity to change how we view humanity because at the core of all humanity is sexuality and spirituality and I actually believe we were created to enjoy life Mm -hmm. and find joy in life and the isolation and doing it alone doesn't work and so we start having these conversations and things start getting disrupted and then we start to experience invitation. Part of what we're doing is we're actually living life. Yeah. Mm. And the beauty is when you live life, sometimes you stumble and you, your knees bloody and you get a band aid Mm. and you care for it and you keep moving forward. Mm. Just because we stumble doesn't mean we quit walking. 
that's what excites me and also terrifies me because I think I've carried the hope of this conversation for more than 20 years. Mm -hmm. And my husband said for years, he said to me, I think you're just ahead of your time. Yeah. And so I wonder, like, I want to do this in a way that is disruptive, invitational, educational, integration. So that's my hope, is that we can model something that gets multiplied in homes and at restaurants and caribou and all these different places, Mm -hmm. that it becomes a common beautiful way of wrestling with one another with the beauty of what we don't understand and the parts we do understand the parts we're discovering Mm -hmm. and that we keep discovering there is more Mm -hmm. yeah that should take our breath away yeah there's more This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. All the music you heard in this episode was composed, produced, and licensed by the fine folks at blue.sessions.com. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcasts. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here are a few scenes from Season 2 of Fun Parts. Part of it is because we haven't learned a language of how to recognize that desire is something that is a part of all of us from the very beginning of time, it's part of how we connected to survival of life. I just think how many people have been managing not having their desires in order to do what they think is correct. And I have found in my personal life that the more I really tune into my deep desire and hear it and listen and respond to it, the more peaceful my life is. Good theology really is that God is not out there to be connected with when you are on some high spiritual plane. What you just said, when you're present to yourself and to your soul, that is where God is. I remember having a moment one morning in meditation where I was sitting and I was seeing like all of these people in my life that I had like outsourced this decision to. Mm. And just like realizing that I had given away my own choice, my own consent, because I was so concerned about upholding this construct that I had been taught, you know, and it was like, this is a choice I am making for myself. I myself and whoever I'm engaging with are the only two in this room. There isn't anybody else here that gets to like choose or say or name what this is. And I just think like it's part of the system that took away choice. I just want to say real quick, too, before we wrap up, there's something wrong with me in that while you were having this beautiful thought, I was imagining like (laughs) lighting a candle and dimming the lights and then turning on Matt Redmond's Here I Am to Worship. (laughs) 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 That's where my brain was going. (laughs) 